Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined by Chris Bouguet. How are you doing, Chris? I'm sorry, Rachel, I can't hear you right now. You're gonna have to speak up a little louder. Can you hear that printing in the background? Can you hear that? I can't, but I'm really intrigued by this printing. What's going on over there? So here I am in my 3D printing workshop, which is really just my dining room right now. So I'm speaking a little bit louder because of the printing going on in the background, but I'm printing the Project Core 3D printed symbols. Are you familiar with those? No, tell me more. All right, hold on. This is at 98%. So maybe I should go back to my special closet. Hold on one second while I go back to the closet so that you can hear me. I don't know why I thought I could record a podcast right here. Oh, did you hear that? Wow. Is that done? Is it done? It's done. Hold on. I'm going to pull it right off the printer right now, and then you'll be able to see it. I wish our listeners could watch this right now. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. I feel like I'm watching a, a feature film. <laughs> And holding in my hand is a circular object, 3D printed. Listen to that. I'm snapping off a little base. And what it says, can you read that, Rachel? It says not. It says not. And what it looks like is a lock, if you will. Like there's a little uh, uh, place to hold, like a, I don't know, a little hook at the top where you can hook this onto something. It's about the size of a large bottle cap, maybe twice the size of a bottle cap. And it has Braille printing on the top. It has, it says the word not, and then it has an X on it. And you can hold this in your hand. And the idea is, is that if you were teaching a student who is maybe deaf, blind, you could put this in their hand. And then every time they're experiencing notness, like this is not something we do, you put this in their hand, like kind of saying no to them, right? Over time, they associate this symbol and the feeling of this symbol that's in their hands with, with not, so that they can learn what the word not means. Just to clarify, this is not N-O-T, like the core word, not not with a K. <laughs> yes, it's not the not that goes on your shoe. It is the not as in no, as negation, as I don't like this. If you put this in a consistent location, then they could reach out and grab it, and they re- as soon as they feel it, they'd know that this unique symbol, touching this symbol that has this X on it, or the, with the Braille on it, and the actual word, and OT, into the 3D printed object that I'm holding, that would be them communicating the word not to you. And Project Core uh, suggests that you start with maybe three symbols to start, and these are 3D printed symbols, which is go, like, and not. Anytime a student is going to go someplace, you would take the 3D printed symbol and you'd put it in their hand so that they would experience what it means to go, just like I was saying with not. And then they'd have a differentiation. Oh, okay, this is go and this is not. And then you have them reach out and feel where it is in this consistent location. And from there, you could start building up the vocabulary. I love this. And I'm really excited because now with 3D printing, these types of things are possible, right? Some of us might have worked with students who have visual impairment and are using objects to communicate. And I feel like this kind of takes it to the next level. So we don't necessarily have to focus primarily on nouns. We can use core words, which is what I love about this. Um, So this is super exciting. Chris, how can one have access to a 3D printer? So in most schools, they're going to already exist. So there's this kind of new trend. I don't know how new it is now that I think about it. It's definitely a couple years old. In fact, if you look back at one of our first episodes, it was with Bill Binko and the AT Makers, right? And there are maker spaces popping up in schools all over the place. In some places, they're uh, converting their computer lab as schools go to a one-to-one model. They think, well, why do we need to have a computer lab if everyone has computers at their seats, right? So what are we going to do with that space? Let's turn it into like 
a, an innovation lab or a makerspace. And that's where they'll get the funding or sometimes it's, uh, it's funding from the principal or it's, they put it in the budget or they write a grant or they get it from the PTO, but they would go and they would get a 3D printer and they would put it in this makerspace. If you don't have access there, many public libraries have 3D printers. And so there's, there's, there's different, different ways you can get access to one. Is this a completely free resource through Project Core? It is. All of these symbols are, they're already there to download. Uh, they have a number of core words that are different symbols that have already been generated and created. You just download the file and it's as simple as downloading a file and then printing off like in Microsoft Word. If, if you think of a paper printer, this thing just prints plastic instead uh, and it builds it up like a model. And then you just take it off the printer. Like you heard me just rip it off the little plate on the printer and now I have it, you know? So something else interesting about this project is that on the first day of summer break in our school district, we have a big conference called the Inspire Loudon Conference. And all these teachers come on their first day of summer break and they do this, like, like I said, like a conference where you just go to different sessions and you learn different things and, and the teacher and to each other. And it's a great way for different uh, teachers in different schools to share information. So when I was at this conference uh, on the first day of summer break, uh, one of the teachers that works uh, at a high school building, uh, it's called the Academies, he teaches a 3D printing class. He said, hey, I, ha I have this thing where all of my students, they, they really want to print uh, prosthetics for people who have lost a limb, you know, some sort of thing that would they could print and put it on somebody is their missing limb, and then they would have that prosthetic. And he said, you know, because it's kind of the rage, and, and, and they've read about it, and they've seen other YouTube videos of people making prosthetics. He goes, but the fact is, we don't really know anybody in our neck of the woods that is missing a limb that needs a prosthetic. It seems like we're solving a, a problem when there's not really an authentic problem to be solved. But I know you might have ideas, Chris, so go. What do you got? And I was like, oh, I've got ideas. Uh, I said, let me show you this poster right behind me. And right behind us, um, we were manning a whole table there that uh, the entire team put together. And they had put up this poster of the core vocabulary words or many of the core vocabulary words. And I was saying, this is what we need. We need people to help us figure out innovative ways to teach these words. So what if I or some of the team came to your students and we talked about how to teach these words? And then, you know, I sent him this link today, the, the link to the project core so that he could see what's, you know, because students might be like, well, how am I going to teach uh, the word different? How am I going to teach the word do? And how do I do that with 3D printing? Like, how does that correlate with a 3D printing class? And so one, I, I like just presenting the problem and let students figure it out. But two, this project core work that they've done and these 3D printing models that they already have kind of give them a jump start. Like maybe they could think about additional words that they'd want to build the files for or different ways to already teach using the words that are already there. I love that. And I also love, Chris, how you are always inspiring the community around these students to help, right? And I feel like that's how you foster a school um, where there's a lot of acceptance and collaboration and community. And so I, that's my favorite part about that is, you know, why don't we take things that students are already doing and give it purpose, right? Give it meaning and give back to, you know, other students. And so I just, I love that. 
Yeah, you know, it really stems from our superintendent. He uh, got up on stage at the beginning of this event, and there's this slide behind him with a heart. And in the middle of the heart, it says, authentic learning experiences. Uh, the idea being that there has to be authentic problems that the students are trying to solve. That is the heart of learning. And I take that to heart. I mean, uh, no pun intended, uh, that if we give students problems to solve, you'll remember it better, right? I often think of that my own my own self is that um, math for me was a lot of drill and kill. You know, get through the course, learn the math, spit it back out in the test, and then you know you've earned your credit. You know, and then you're forgetting a step, and then forget everything you just memorized. <laughs> yes, I forgot to mention the first the step of forgetting. Uh, but yes, exactly. Then forget it because I, I didn't really internalize. It didn't really mean anything to me. And uh, more and more people, more and more educators are realizing, yeah, right? I have experiences like that too. I memorized all the state capitals and now I don't need to know them anymore because I can just spit it out to the air and it'll give me that answer. Hey, Alexa, what's the capital of Maine? You know, she'll just say it to you. So that kind of learning is shallow learning and we're after this concept of deeper learning and that what's at the way to get to this deeper learning is by having students actually solve problems. Plus, I feel like that kind of correlates with the job force. You know, uh, a lot of employers are looking for people who can solve problems, not memorize facts. Take a problem and turn it around and collaborate and communicate, which is at the heart of what this whole podcast is about, communicate what they've learned. And so problems like this, and I'm holding up the symbol in my hand right now, yes, okay, we have students that are deaf and blind, and they need to learn how to communicate. And so how are we going to do that? How are we going to teach them? Wait a second, maybe 3D printing is an inexpensive way to, and that, by the way, the, the resin that is used for this is very inexpensive. It's like the, the cost of paper. So it's a very inexpensive way to provide a possible solution to students and getting other students involved in coming up with those solutions. I love that. Every time you talk about your school district, Chris, I think I would like to work for that school district. Is Loudoun County, is Loudoun County hiring? <laughs> Come on over, Rachel. Come on over. We'll hire in a sec. I mean, you just, you really are so lucky that you work for such a great school district and it sounds like everybody is collaborative and, you know, goal oriented with like these high level goals that really make learning meaningful for kids. And that's how we know kids learn best, right? When they're engaged and they're excited and it's actually means something, right? So it's just, it's really cool to hear about your, your school district and all the great things that you guys are doing. You know, Rachel, I don't think it's just our school district. I mean, I think this is kind of a movement that's happening maybe around the country, maybe around the world even. Uh, there are more schools doing maker spaces, coming up with authentic problems, putting project-based learning uh, on the map, and students and teachers kind of working together to solve these problems. And I feel like it's a, it's a trend. It's a, it's, a, it's a movement that's happening not just in our neck of the woods, but all over. I bet you have teachers and you're just not hearing the stories, you know. Or like I said, in Maine and in Florida and Oklahoma, everywhere else, there are teachers that are doing this and students doing this. We just have to spread the word about it. And really, there might be solving problems that are in our sphere. Uh, and we have to, that's maybe our focus. And maybe that's our challenge to the listeners. 
okay, maybe you're not the person that's doing 3D printing, but maybe you know the person that's doing 3D printing and you could go to them and say, okay, I've heard about 3D printing. What are you making? Like, oh, well, we're printing off like little um, doodads and keychains and, and stuff for, for our school. Well, that's great, but it's not really solving an authentic problem. I know an authentic problem and you could pair as either the speech therapist or teacher listening to this podcast with those students and with those teachers to, to partner up to come up with these solutions. And then at the root of that is, of course, just collaboration, right? Taking an idea and then figuring out who you need to talk to or collaborate with to kind of bring that idea to fruition. Um, and that's definitely something that anybody can do. It doesn't matter what school district you're in, who your superintendent is. Um, you know, we can all do that and make a big difference. So I completely agree. I think there's definitely people and schools and uh, teachers and other SLPs who are doing great things. And if you know of any of those people, please send them our way. We would love to interview them. I think it's so cool that we can bring people together uh, and bring people on this podcast that have great ideas and that are implementing great ideas, um, both you know in school districts and otherwise. So if you ever have an idea of somebody you think would be amazing for us to interview, just send us an email. You can reach us at talkingwithtech at gmail.com. We're really excited to hear from you guys and to help spread the word of all the things that are happening that, you know, we could start doing in our school district, in our neck of the woods. You know, it's something, Rachel, that I, I don't know how to do. It's kind of my own next step is that, okay, I've learned how to print from on a 3D printer. I know how to download these files and hit the print button and make sure that it comes out right. But I don't actually know how to design one of these things. And I feel like that's maybe the next step for me in this process. All right, students, teach me, you know, I'll come to your class and you teach me how to design the word what, you know, I don't think there's a symbol for the word what, but I think that'd be a good thing to teach students and it'd be a great symbol to have. If I had a good idea for what what could look like is a 3D printed file, I don't know how to design it right now, but I guess that's up to me. I have to learn how to do that. I'm envisioning a world where eventually all SLPs will be able to customize their own 3D symbols, right? And we could do some personal core for students. Um, you know, right now we kind of have limitations on the symbols that are designed for us. But yeah, I agree. I feel like let's, let's figure out how to design our own symbols so that we can, you know, keep supporting those kids, especially with visual impairment. But I've been thinking through you talking, and I feel like a lot of the students with autism that I work with would really benefit from the tactile input of something like this. Um, you know, so it's not, I don't think just for visual impairment or, you know, deaf populations. Um, but I definitely can see value in a lot of students benefiting from this. Oh, that's so true, right? I mean, it's a multimodal experience. So you can have the experience of not by of refusal or, or not liking something which said like rejection. And when that happens, you could press the symbol on your communication device, but you could also tactically feel it uh, in your hands. And that would maybe even make cement it even more for you what that means. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm especially envisioning this for younger children, right? Like kind of early intervention kids where it feels like maybe they're not as attentive to a device. Um, you know, we know that, that young children are really interested in that tactile feedback. Um, and so I think that that would be even really cool to explore. So the possibilities are endless. If you're using these 3D printed symbols, like Rachel said earlier, hit us up on the Facebook group and let us know that you're using them. And we'd love to chat with you more about uh, how you're using them and your experiences behind them. If you haven't already joined the Facebook group, you can search Talking With Tech and we'll pop up. Um, lots of really cool discussions going on in there and we would love to hear from you. Um, Chris, let's talk about what today's episode is all about. 
So today's episode is the first part of the golden rules of AAC competency in a new era of education. It's one of the exceptional ed courses that you and Lucas and I put together. And uh, this is, we've recorded just kind of like the last couple episodes have been, this is the first part of that course. Yeah, I'm really excited about this course because a lot of people don't understand, uh, you know, they focus on the linguistic competencies, right? We're speech language pathologists. We like language. We focus on the language, but there's a lot of other competencies that you need to think about and start training early um, when you're working with AAC users. And so this course was um, a deep dive into the different competencies and how you could potentially target them in your therapy. So Chris, if people have listened to our podcast and want to earn the CEU certificate, what do they do? Well, Rachel, we've tried to make it easy for everybody by putting everything in one hyperlink. If people go to bit.ly slash techceu, that's bit.ly slash techceu, they'll see a list of everything that they can click on and they can just get the credits right there. Yeah, and let us know how you like this this setup. If you haven't joined our Facebook group, hop over there and let us know what you think. We would love to keep offering these CEU courses if you like them and enjoy them. Ideally, we wanted to create courses where you could listen in your car when you're on the go and then just simply you know go to a website and take a quiz. Um, and that way you can earn CEUs in a really quick and efficient way. So without further ado, let's have a listen to the golden rules of AAC competency. Hi, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts of Speech Science, a weekly podcast bringing you all the information that you can handle related to speech sciences and disabilities. Michelle Wintering, Michael McLeod, and I interview leaders and difference makers in the field. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode. You can find us on iTunes, Android, and on our website, www.speechscience.org slash speech science podcast. Join us as we try to find the answers to the question, what is communication? Hi, I'm Mei-Ling Chan. I'm CEO and co-founder of Exceptional Ed. Uh, we are so excited to be bringing you this conference. We have Chris Bouguet, Rachel Madel, and Lucas Stuber, and I will be moderating this uh, panel presentation for Golden Rules of AAC Competency in a New Era of Communication. So just to get started, I'll let you know that um, I am the owner of Surprise Therapies, which is a small staffing company out here in Arizona. Also, um, I wrote Exceptional Mobile, and I started Yap Guru, where we had all the app reviews, and I am now on this amazing team with Exceptional Ed, where we have online courses and a podcast network sharing amazing information. All right. Rachel's turn. It's my turn. So I do some presenting on AAC. I am from Pennsylvania originally, but now I'm in California in LA. And I am an AAC specialist. So a lot of people come to me when they need help with AAC. Um, I also have a website where I sell resources. Um, these disclosures are so fun. Um, and then I also have did some apps, app consulting for an augmented reality app for kids with autism. That's non-financial disclosure. So my name is Chris Fouquet, and I am also a speech language pathologist, but um, 
this is my 20th year in the field. And 16 years ago, I was asked to be part of the founding members uh, of an assistive technology team. So I think of myself as an assistive technology person with a speech background. Um, I, over those, this, those 20 years, I've got to do quite a bit of fun, cool stuff. Uh, I got to work with um, Barbara Fernandez with Smarty Ears and put together a, an app called AT Eval to Go. I've done a podcast for, for years called the AT Tips Cast podcast. I uh, work with these two and do the Talking with Tech podcast, which I know we'll, we'll mention, I'm sure, in the future. Uh, most uh, A couple of years ago, I got to write a book with uh, a colleague, Sally Norton Dar, called The Practical and Fun Guide to Assistive Technology in Public Schools. And then most recently, just past May, so it's not even a year old yet, uh, I got to author a book called The New Assistive Tech, Make Learning Awesome for All. So those are all my disclosures. Oh, good, Joan, I'm glad you like it. It is a good app. I, and I'm Lucas. So I started um, a company called Speech Science, which we recently smushed together with Exceptional Ed, which we're just thrilled about. So um, it's been an incredible opportunity to build this educational network uh, along with the podcast and everything else. Um, I'm a speech pathologist by background. I was a AAC developer with a company called Avaz, um, both the app Avaz and then I uh, co-created an app called Free Speech. Um, and of course, uh, help start this podcast with these wonderful people here. Um, and I do talk a lot. It says national presenter, I see. So yes, I do that. I'm, I, I always have words for things. And then as of just recently, I'm the global product manager for everything AAC software and curriculum related for Toby Dynamox. So um, Snap Plus Core First, uh, and now The Grid um, has just joined our family. So I should say, though, that that is not related to this presentation, right? So this is, I'm, I, to, here I am, Lucas, and I am talking with tech, um, although I'm happy to help with Toby's tech. But I feel like I should say, like, the welcome back once again to talking with tech, but that's not what we're doing. <laughs> Here, right so we're talking about competencies right that's the subject for today competencies but it's weird because usually when we do get together we are recording a podcast episode uh, just quick anyone if, if have you listened to the podcast has anyone listened in the past please put it in the chat we'd love to know that if that you're listening or that you've maybe listened to an episode if you're like what's a podcast well we'll talk about that at the end <laughs> yay people saying yes okay cool in fact yeah. We, Carol Zingari, the first person who said yes, has been on the podcast. Look at that. All right, Joan says no. Don't worry, Joan. We'll hook you up at the end. We'll explain it all. Yeah, so yeah. there's it's this there's this funny thing that we do, and we, so we didn't we did a, a um, what an episode on the podcast recently about this concept of iconicity, right? Which is how representative something is of its you know whatever it's trying to to convey in the real world. And um, afterwards, Rachel looked at all of us and said, "Why do we always choose the hard stuff?" And uh, I feel like we sort of did that again here, right? So this is this is a little bit more complex of a topic than um, than certain things. But the way that we that we do this all the time, right, is that we just have a conversation about it. And um, what's wonderful about this format tonight is that we get to invite everyone to have the conversation with us, right? So please just go ahead and post any questions or comments in the chat as they come up. I'm going to be monitoring and mailing too. Um, you're also welcome to post things in the Q and A. Um, but we're just going to get going here and um, start really by, I guess, defining the terms uh, and then going into some of the specific considerations for AAC. 
Okay, I do want to jump in and just let everyone know that the handouts were provided. However, we made a couple of tweaks on there. And then this is a dynamic panel presentation. So if there are additional points or things that um, the presenters come up with, we'll be adding them in there. And then I will download the new one and upload it and you'll have the fully um, the full version to download later. And then I also forgot to let everyone know that if you do want a course certificate with this course, please make sure that you go back and take the quiz. And then if you need the words live on your course, you need to do that within 24 hours. All right, so let's get started. It, I, I forgot to say too, we're giving away stuff at the end, so stick around. We got to... So um, we, we wanted to start with a, uh, a broad definition of communicative competence. And I'm just going to read this out loud because it's pretty poignant. In 1989, Dr. Janice Light defined communicative competence for individuals with complex communication needs who require augmentative and alternative communication as, quote, a dynamic interpersonal construct based on functionality of communication, adequacy of communication, and sufficiency of knowledge, judgment, and skills. And um, we have definitely come a long way, I would say, from 1989 to what people, professionals like you guys, experts, the companies that design the products, um, the language systems, the ideologies, from, from 1989 to now. And I'm going to bring us to the next slide to show that in 2003, they realized that we needed to add some additional factors and that was the psychosocial component. And that is motivation and attitude and confidence and resilience. This is, um, this is such a great topic. I'm really excited to get your feedback, uh, Rachel and Chris and, and Lucas, because there are so many things beyond where's the symbol, you know, how do I get them to press the button, all of that. And I feel like this is a deeper, higher level, much more meaningful um, conversation to be having, you know, beyond the symbols. So thank you so much. Our pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, really. Maybe the place to start. And I'm just curious, again, to involve people in the chat there. Uh, let me ask you, how many of you have heard of these competences before and uh, and work with them? I mean, are they brand new to you? Nope, never heard them before. Or are you like, yeah, I've heard of them and some are or like, no, I'm an expert. I present on this all the time. We'd love to hear what your feedback is uh, in the chat. Heard of them brand new. Okay, perfect. And I think it's really important that, you know, when we say AAC competencies, it sounds really high level and, you know, academic sounding. Um, and it's important, but the way I like to think about it is it's a framework and it's, it's just kind of different domains that you need to be mindful of when you're planning intervention. Um, and we're going to actually get into the specifics of each one. There's five that we're going to go over tonight. Um, but I think that it's just, it's a really good guideline to make sure that you're covering all your bases. Yeah, absolutely. But it also shouldn't be a limitation, right? And so I'll throw that out just ahead of time, right? That we shouldn't, we always presume competence, right? This is one of the, the phrases we talk about all the time. And we shouldn't limit someone in one domain of competency because they're maybe limited in another, which we'll talk about a little bit more. But, you know, one important concept about competence, right? And we were sort of joking about how we should try to avoid using that word so much. So I need like something shorter to say, hmm, not competence. Okay. Like, uh, like skills. Skills, there we go. You know, one important thing to remember, right, is there's no there's no finish point for skills for any of us, right? So thinking of like cooking, right? Like I have great social competence about cooking and that I want to invite everybody over to eat my food. Um, I have great linguistic competence around cooking and that I can use all of the fancy words and I know what cream fraiche is and these other things. But I have terrible operational competence. Nobody wants to eat my food. Um, <laughs> 
they still come over, right? Because I invite everyone, but um, that's okay, right? I'm, I'm, I'm no less of a person, I hope. Yeah, we still want to come over and socialize with you because you have great social competence. <laughs> Good. So thinking of that list of competencies, um, I don't know. I mean, just jump in. We're, we're, these are the ones we're going to talk about. We should define them. Absolutely. Okay, so operational competency. This is the technical skills that you need to use an AAC system. Um, and that looks different for different users, right? So, you know, direct select access method versus scanning or eye tracking, um, but it's actually using the system. And then not only just using the system, but all the maintenance maintenance types of things that go along with the system, uh, being able to change the volume according to different environments. Um, I have a kiddo who has a really hard time learning how to regulate his volume when he's in the library. It's super loud. When he's at the playground, it's super soft. Um, so teaching those skills on how to regulate the volume of this, this system. Um, positioning is another one. Uh, being able to adjust the brightness, um, depending on if you're outside or if you're, you know, you're not able to see your device. Um, charging is another big one that I work on with a lot of the kids. Knowing when their battery is about to die and being able to plug it into the wall. Um, so these are all kind of operational skills that are really important to teach alongside of the language and all the other different areas that we're going to go over. Um, are there any other ones that people love to, to focus on in their therapy? Any other operational skills? You know, Rachel, as people type in there, something I'm thinking about, now I don't work with adults, but I could imagine that uh, adults would be like, I need to know what buttons to push to get to Facebook and get to post to Twitter. You know what I mean? And those would be just, how do I get to it, right? But once right. you're there and you actually, what you're posting, that might be a different competency. Well, yeah, how you calibrate your eye gaze, that's great. Right, yeah, and maybe that's a competence for the partner too, right? Um, I love how to print, that's a great yeah. one. Yeah, and if you can print within the app and these other things, the, the, right? I mean, it's it's it comes back almost to our use of phones, right? I mean, I can use my smartphone really well and very smoothly, but if I hand it to you, can you use it the same way? And because there's operational competence that's embedded in my knowledge of that operating system and everything else, and um, it's something that we shouldn't we shouldn't take it for granted, right? Um, even though we're all steeped in this. I was just gonna say, I, I love to make these types of. Uh, webinar is really practical and a practical tip that I love when I'm doing stuff with operational competencies is using something that's motivating not necessarily the AAC device so if I'm working on volume control or you know positioning or something like that you know I'm using their favorite song or their favorite YouTube video and then I'm turning the volume down so they can't hear it um, because they're motivated right they're like I can't hear it or I can't see it um, and these are all temptation right there. Sure. Yeah, exactly. You know, because sometimes kids don't care if their volume isn't loud enough on their AAC device. Um, so I think that it's important to kind of think about different ways that we can teach these operational skills. Oh, I'm happy. I thought it was a great idea. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I think it's important to really, as we always say in our podcast, um, use things that are motivating for kids. And there's nothing more motivating than their favorite song or their favorite video. One of my favorite ones that I heard recently, and we're, this is jumping into slightly into a different competence also, which we'll talk about in a second, but was the concept of like a little Dungeons and Dragons game using core words. Like, right, so you present a little scenario, and then to get out of the room, maybe you need to use up, or in, or out, or these other things, um, sort of gamifying the thing, which I really loved. 
Yes. You had me at Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yep. You guys are gamers. I'm always like, what game? What? I would be a gamer if I had time. So when you're playing games, right, one of the reasons you do that is uh, is because it's a social element, right? You are, And that's kind of the, the next competency is, is, is why do you need to use a communication device at all? Why do we communicate at all? It's to be social with people. I often think of the social competency, the functional social competency as the, because my speech brain goes there, to the pragmatics, right? To why are you communicating? It's for this purpose. It has to do with, you know, knowing that uh, I take a turn and then you take a turn. And that's a skill that I might need to learn at a very young age, that that's how uh, interactions work. I might uh, think about when I'm trying to communicate with somebody that it's not working and if there's been a breakdown and I have to fix it. Uh, I might think that I need to make a request, but I also need to, to, to protest. There's all sorts of different social competencies that you could uh, uh, that, that skills, skills that we need people to have when it comes to those communication devices. Yep. I see someone says communication is more than requesting. Absolutely. It's, it's commenting. It's all these other things. And a lot of that is embedded in the social aspect, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, and it's important too, you know, kind of we're, we're mentioning communication is more than requesting. Um, just finding things that kids really love, like telling jokes and telling stories and complaining and, you know, all the things that their peers are doing all the time. Um, I think it's really important to, to make sure we, we step outside of, um, outside of the box when we're thinking about how we can get our kids communicating. Yes. Yeah, one thing you said on the, on the podcast recently, and I'm sorry, I know I'm, I'm jumping back a little bit, but Rachel, I really liked a comment that you made um, about social competence in the sense that when there is something that is socially inappropriate or an adverse behavior or whatever might happen, that that's not just an opportunity to redirect, that it's an opportunity to have a conversation about it. Absolutely. And I'm going to, once we get down to emotional competence. Oh, sorry. I jumped ahead. That's what I'm going to talk about too, because I think so often we just shut things down when they're an opportunity for an exchange and a conversation. Um, so yeah, absolutely. So linguistic competence, right? I mean, this is uh, my, my background. I had a master's degree in linguistics before I ever became a speech pathologist. And so I'm, I'm a certified word nerd in a variety of ways, right? And, and this is where my head often goes with AACs. I start thinking about language systems and I start thinking about access to core words and all these things that are, that are very important as, you know, and then the, the incredible importance of developing structural knowledge of language leading into later literacy um, and all of these things. And I sort of don't want to um, belabor that point because I feel like that's what a lot of us probably think about as, as speech pathologists, right, um, entering into this. I guess, I guess what I would say my point with it is that there are many students that maybe will have linguistic competence that exceeds perhaps their operational competence, right? And just because one of them is not as high as the other does not mean that they don't have that knowledge. And I think we all know this from, you know, the receptive language of a student relative to their expressive language, that sort of thing. Um, and so when we talk about these competencies, I know I already said it once, but I just want to emphasize again that um, having a plateau in one does not mean that equals a plateau in the other, right? You know, what I'll say is that I have a, this is just me being maybe cathartic in front of all the, the, the people that are participating today, but I tend to hyper-focus on linguistic and, and maybe ignore the other ones. And I think, you know, just doing this presentation was an uh, eye-opening to me going, 
Yeah, I am. All I ever focus on is the words they say and how they're putting them together and teaching the communication partners about the words they should be modeling. And, and I don't do enough about uh, operational and strategic. And so that's at least a takeaway that, that I have. And maybe it's all because I'm a speech therapist. And so, you know, I tend to, to go to that linguistic part. And I think you're exactly right, Chris. We're all SLPs, like language is our jam. So it's, it's, it's normal, I think, to, to focus on that because that's kind of what we're like, the long-term picture, we need to teach the language. But the, I, I felt the same way preparing for this because I was just thinking all the different ways that I could start incorporating these other competencies. And I think that that's the value of this is that it's easy to kind of laser focus on what we know and we know linguistic, um, but it's, there's so many other things at play that we just need to keep in mind when we're developing intervention. Right, perfect. I love, uh, Andrea said here, um, students that work the other way, right? Greater operational competency than linguistic. There are so many kids that maybe you know, I have an MOU of two or whatever that can crack my password and get into the iPad like instantly. And so that's, that's great. But we, I mean, I, I don't know, I guess it's nice to have that level of operational competence because then you don't sort of need to stress about it as much and you can focus on the linguistic, but it just is another example of how we need to be aware of all these different, the constellation of skills that constitutes every one of our ability to communicate. Right. So on that point, uh, looking at strategic competence, I mean, it's interesting because a lot of these sort of overlap, right? So the strategic has a little bit in common with social and a little bit in common with operational. But part of this is, um, you know, it's, it, there could be some, some elements of turn taking, of gaining someone's attention in order to speak, of understanding and checking for comprehension in the partner. But even things as simple as um, preforming messages, thinking about rate enhancement, um, you know, planning ahead uh, for conversational interactions. There's, there's an element of sort of uh, metalinguistic competence that plays into this. And so um, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but initially, um, along with many of these competencies, I think we as communication partners or as therapists end up scaffolding a lot of this, right, um, to aid with their strategic ability. But over time, that will become independent. You know, what else I think falls here under strategic is the idea. I think many uh, functional users of communication, people that are that have come out the back end of school and they're actually using their communication device functionally to say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it, it's they think of it as an AAC system, right? So the device, the AAC device is just one mode and sometimes there's multiple devices. And so the strategy is choosing which device am I going to use in this given moment, you know? In this in this instance, I'm going to use my communication device. In this instance, I'm going to use the the paperboard that's laminated and hung up on my shower. Um, and this other one, I'm, you know, I'm going to feel like I'm going to type out these messages because uh, the way I'm sitting or the word the person I'm work, work it would work better if I type this out. You know, I think right. that also falls into the, the strategic realm. And then I think another one that falls under strategy is I know some users that type out. Uh, and I know there's a term for this and I just can't think of it, but like when you say, uh, you want to say the word Saturn, let's say, right? And you put sat and turn together to make the word Saturn. I mean, if anyone knows that term, why the, the phonological, how they combine it together, please put it in the in the chat because I'm I'm blanking on it. That's another strategy, right? Type of circumlocution, but there is another word for it, I'm sure. Yeah, but you see, that's like another strategy is that rather than going to find the word Saturn on my device, I'm going to know that that sounds like sat and turn, so I'm going to combine those two. And that's a whole other form of strategic competency. The other thing that I think is important is when we're working with students who are very verbal, but they have severely lowered speech intelligibility. 
So that's where strategic is so important because they're responding and you're asking them questions and you're having conversations and they're saying so many things and you have no idea what they're saying. And so I think that's, that's where, and we're going to talk a little bit about how do we prioritize these competencies and are they all created equal? And I think it's yeah, like with everything else, it depends and it depends on a lot of things. And so if you have a student who's super you know, communicative and verbal and has the linguistic, um, teaching them to, you know, there was a communication breakdown. Someone's not understanding me. So I need to then go to my device and I need to say it on there so that, you know, to repair the communication breakdown. Sorry, I got distracted because I just, I love Andrea, your comment. Uh, I know Andrea. Sorry. We started reading. <laughs> I started reading and I said, Oh, I agree. It's so nice to island them to yourself, you know, um, thanks especially as a specialist, right? It's like in your district, you might be the one. And so um, I think that's one reason why Facebook and these things have become so popular for SLPs is we can finally be like, my friends. And listening to podcasts because yeah, then you're like, yeah, 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 that, 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 that. Yeah. Okay, sorry, I got excited, emotional. So this is an area that you don't always see when it comes to the competencies. Um, and Sarah Blackstone and David Wilkins actually in 2009 wrote a really amazing article um, and they included emotional competency. Um, and because we know that our emotions are so intricately connected to social, you know, and we have to look at these competencies as a Venn diagram, right? It's not, you know, we don't put them into buckets. They all overlap in so many ways. And I think this is just one, um, an additional area that overlaps. And, you know, emotional competence, the ability of our students to learn how to recognize their own feelings and emotions, um, interpret others' emotions, um, and then, of course, learning how to respond and communicate accordingly. Um, and we kind of touched on this already, but I think a lot of times we are, you know, we're very quick to shut down an emotional experience. So if you know, I'm in a classroom and a child starts crying. It's like, well, don't cry, you know, don't be sad. Um, instead, it's an opportunity to say, it looks like you're feeling sad. You know, it looks like you're feeling frustrated. Of course, model on the device. Um, you know, we talk a lot about modeling on our podcast because it's so important. Um, but it, you know, acknowledging a child and how they might feel then opens up a conversation as to, you know, why are you feeling sad? Is it because it's time to, to finish this activity that you really liked? Is it because, you know, you're missing mom? Um, and so I think it's really important to really validate those feelings and those emotions. And then of course, attach language to it um, to help kids learn how to communicate. And of course, we know when we're able to express our emotions, we have less pent up emotions in us. And then we're less likely to have all of these kind of behaviors that you might see. So I think it's just really important that we're making sure that we encourage a conversation about emotions instead of just saying, don't be sad or uh, we don't hit our friends or, you know, whatever the, the, the behavior. It's all about abatement instead of teaching the, the appropriate actions and, and, and knowing yourself, you know, don't yeah. you think like there's a big movement right now, um, at least in our neck of the woods, everything in our school district is about uh, wellness, you know, and understanding your own wellness. And I think, how do we teach that? This is this emotional competence, be it understanding who you are and how you're feeling. And, and if you're bummed, it's okay, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. And the other thing is, we know that emotions are the driving force for communication. When we're really excited about something, we want to talk about it. When we're really upset about it, about something, we want to communicate that too. So I'm really happy that this was included as a fifth competency because I think it's really important to, to consider. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I like how we just all agree. Yes. Yes. Good conversation. Yes. Measuring competence. This is, uh, this is where things get a little tricky. Yeah. So why don't we ask the chat real quick so they can type in some answers here. How do you measure the different competencies? You know, are there certain tools you use or what's the formula? We'll talk about it, but we were really curious what you use and what you do in your neck of the woods. And as you type in your responses, <laughs> we'll say that usually uh, you think of measuring a competency as like measuring anything else, you know, that there's a series of actions you take. So often we want to just um, like question people. But I often think, you know, Rachel, use the analogy of a Venn diagram. And I think that's an excellent ana analogy. Another one that I can think of is like a spider graph chart, you know, like, I don't know if you've ever seen those, but you picture like a spider web and there's different parts that are pulled off to the right or to the left or the bottom. And so if you put each one of the, those competencies on that chart, you could kind of fill in on the inside how much does this person know on the uh, operational side? How much does this person know on the strategic side? And can we stretch those in those different corners to, to fill in that spider web, right? And right. So, so that, that spider web becomes a way of measuring. And the first way you measure is by doing a pre-assessment. Right. Yeah, that's well, I like what you said there too, because that's inherently sort of strengths-based, right? You know, where we're using the skill set of the student to then expand on these other areas where maybe there's a perceived deficit or whatever it might be, which I, I just appreciate that in general. Here's what the reason, so I made a comment that this is where it gets hairy or whatever, right, a minute ago. What I mean by that is, um, I guess I'm I guess I'm thinking about one thing that's going on in our field right now in terms of speech pathologists doing AAC intervention versus what's going on with BCBA, right? Where there is an argument um, in the world out there, right, that what we are doing is sort of fluffy and it's not DTT based and we're not um, collecting this you know trial data and you know for just success and failure in a sort of raw way, and. Um, the, the trouble with that to me, other than the fact that it sort of undervalues the, the beauty and dynamic nature of communication is that um, how do you measure that? Like when we're talking about social competence, right? It's one thing to say, oh, well, there was a turn taking opportunity that was missed, right? But it's another thing to say my students a response was inappropriate or whatever. Like that, that, that is inherently an objective um, thing to say. And so I think what, what ends up happening in the field, and I'm not criticizing this in any way, because this is what we need to do, but is what I'm seeing written down essentially, which is observation and teacher report and parent report and, and all these other things from which we um, you know, end up planning our, our intervention. Um, I, I guess I'm just sort of on the fence as to whether that's enough, right? Like what else do we need to do? You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.